You don't know what the world's going to give you, but when you just give the world things and you try to do the right things, it's amazing what comes back. My father's a dentist. My mom was our office manager. And so I learned a lot from my parents. But when I joined them, we had one clinic and they treated me like an associate. Like it wasn't like you're your dad's son and you get the easy road. Like I did six days a week. I was working four Saturdays a month. We care about our patients. If we have 18 clinics, we'll have been super successful. And we have 16 clinics, we'll also be super successful. To me, it's not a numbers game. If you're running dentistry to make money, money, I have a problem. If you're doing it because you treat patients really well, you have an amazing team, you have amazing dentists, absolutely go nuts. The goal is not to have more and not to make more. It's to do better. Naturally, things grow. If you do things the right way, they'll naturally grow. T-R-E-C, teamwork, respect, exceptional dentistry, continuous improvement. Teamwork is first. Put your team first. They'll take care of the clients. I find life is a string of pearls. You could pursue one of a million paths. I've known Nikki for about what seven years now. Um, we met. Uh, we met. I think we met in an airport originally, but on our way to Peru, uh, to Guidos, um, for a volunteer trip with Kindness in Action. Why were you guys there? Well, we we were both volunteering, and uh, I think we both. I want to get into that with you because. I feel like we both volunteered with with uh, multiple organizations, and Jen, I know you've done a ton of volunteering. Um, like like you said, like we met we met in Peru, but I've always kind of kept track of of your career, Jen, and, and I've always been so impressed. There's just so much I wanted to talk with you about. Um, but uh, tell us tell us about yourself, though, Jen. Like introduce yourself. Tell us about uh, who you are, where you work, all the fun sure. stuff. Yeah. So. Um, I- I and my partners run Trek Dental. So we're in Calgary. We've got uh, 18 clinics in Calgary, 16 GP and two specialty clinics. Um, been doing this for 21 years now, which like blows my mind that I've been a dentist for that long. I, I was lucky to go down to UOP in San Francisco for university. And so got out of school, graduated at 22 and started doing dentistry. So I'm 43 now, but I've been working for 21 years. So, 22? you know, that's, wow. yeah, 22. Yeah, it was wow. pretty great. Well, they've got a two plus three program. So two years undergrad, three years dental school, and you're done. So you were like a a kid wonder. You're like a baby genius. So here's the thing. People say that, and I I appreciate it. I'll I'll just pretend, yes, that that's the case, but not really. Like when you go to the U.S., and a lot of people don't, I think, know this, a full course load in the U.S. is four courses. Really? in, in, In like each semester. Like in Canada, you have to take five courses to do a full course load, right? In the U.S., you have to do four courses. So I had to do... 16 undergrad courses and I got into dental school. Like that's like a year and a half in Canada. And it wasn't like I, so I didn't have to like do really well in a lot of courses. I had to do really well in a few courses. And, and I was lucky. I was, you know, in Calgary, I ended up, I was in a private school, you know, did AP bio AP chem, which truly set me up because I got down there and first year they're like, all right, you're in bio class. Here's your textbook. And I'm like, I read this textbook last year. This was my grade 12 textbook. So it's like, how could you not do well if you're redoing the course? Like, I mean, you'd have to be unfortunately not that good if you managed to not do well the second time doing a course that you passed already. So undergrad went quick. Uh, Dental school went quick. Great program actually at UOP, three years. Um, Actually, interestingly enough, and this is the kind of crazy part about it, is that my roommate from dental school, his daughter just got into the the program at UOP, which really starts to age you a little bit because I have a roommate in dental school that has an 18 year old daughter and I've got two (laughs) kids. I've got a three and a five year olds, you know, two little boys. And so, you know, that's probably the, the, the different part about it. You you, you do things differently. Like I, I worked a lot and 
you know, things happen. We grew and, and here we are. My, my father's a dentist. My mom's was our office manager. And so I learned a lot from my parents and that's really where my background started. But when I joined them, we had one clinic and, and things just kind of took off from there without planning. I have a question. Yeah. So, uh, Nikki, you know where I got that from? <laughs> the call we were on the other day. <laughs> Nikki and I were on a call and someone physically put their hand up. So I'd, I'm sorry to that too. But, um, <laughs> and you, you, you glossed over a point, which I think is super important that a lot of people do when they talk about their pivots and their journey, which is, you know, I worked super hard. Like, what did that tangibly mean? You know, I, I think it's interesting. Like, I, I mean, I don't think I worked super hard in university, to be completely honest. I, I worked as hard as I needed to, to, to get stuff done. But when I got back home, um, I, I joined mom and dad and, and they treated me like an associate. Like, it wasn't like you're your dad's son and you get the easy road. Like I did six days a week. I was working four Saturdays a month. And, and to me, I mean, one of the challenges I have, and again, this is going to, you know, maybe throw other people under a bus with the whole like millennial thing, but like to get any dentist to work six days a week and three to four Saturdays a month, like that's literally impossible right now. Like it just never happens. And it, it, it's interesting for me because it's like, well, why wouldn't you work hard to do well? And not that you don't have to have a life outside it. I mean, I had a great life. I used to travel everywhere, take good holidays, but you know, you put the time in. And for me, that wasn't just doing dentistry. It was watching my dad because to me, mentorship is the most important thing that you can get when you come out of school. And I find a lot of, you know, this is again, a bit of a pet peeve of mine in the, in let's say the DSO world, which, which I do live in, even though I don't love the terminology or what that necessarily means in people's minds, you know, a lot of people will just throw associates into an office because they have an office and it's like in the middle of nowhere. And they're like, I just need a dentist. You graduated go. And you're like, yeah. What do you know coming out of dental school? Like to be completely honest, dental school, like, you know, makes you legal as a dentist. It doesn't make you a dentist. It doesn't make you good at dentistry. You you learn all of your dentistry or the majority of your dentistry when you get out of school, when you actually start practicing on patients. And to me, mentorship's a huge part of that. And here where I was, I, I'm blessed because I had a dad that wanted me to succeed in dentistry and a mom that wanted me to succeed in understanding how to run a business. And so I got lucky. I had two of the best mentors in the world who want you to succeed. Like it doesn't get much better than that. I, I always say dental school teaches you just enough to not kill someone. And uh, it's the truth that that's, that's where we're at. You don't really learn to be a dentist in dental school. Um, but I think it's great that you had those mentors and now you're that mentor for so many other people. Um, when you see these new grads come out and they're kind of aimlessly looking for a mentor, how do you recommend people find a mentor or what, what do you think people should do to find that mentor like you had? You know, I think that, and this is the hard part is like, stop focusing on the hours and the money and focus on who, like, who am I going to get to work next to? How many years experience does this guy have? What's, what's the clinic's Google reviews like? Like, I mean, we're big on Google reviews. Like how do, how do people look at this clinic? Is it, it, you know, do you have, is there some level of longevity? Is this the, the partner or the owner or, you know, the, the mentor that you're going to be working with? Has he been doing this a number of years and does he have a skill set that you want to learn? And then let's not worry about year one and two, what I make coming out of school, you know, we'll get there. Like we're going to be successful. I mean, I think the nice thing about dentistry is we're in Canada, we're doing dentistry. You do a good job. You take care of people. You're going to make good money. Like, I, I don't think that you can't, if you do the right things, I think that, you know, we're lucky to be in the profession that we are. So let's not try to, 
you know, worry about that year one, two, let's try to get our skills set up. Uh, and, and so, you know, find a person that, that wants to mentor you that says, Hey, you know, I'm going to work next to you two or three days a week, and you're going to work by yourself one or two days a week, or in a perfect world, I'm going to work next to you four to five days a week. You're just going to be working, you know, beside me and then take the time because, Hey, we have a bunch of associates and I love our, our team is fantastic. But, you know, I talked to some of my docs and I'm like, Hey, you work four days a week, you know, on your fifth day, once a month, could you come and observe for three to four hours? Right? Like, so not four days a week, not four days a month, like once a month, even once a quarter. And and here's the honest truth. We don't get as much uptake as we'd like. It, it just yeah. doesn't happen. There's like, well, it's my day off. Like I get to go to the mountains. I get to go do something. And yeah, absolutely. Like we should balance life. I mean, I think that's really important these days. Stress is high. Make sure we balance life, but take a few hours to go meet somebody, to go hang out with somebody, to learn from somebody. It doesn't even have to be in your organization. Hopefully you have some friends, right? Like, you know, if you're, you're in town and you, you know, like if you're in Lloyd, like go visit Nikki, right? Like, just like people are going to say, yes, if you're willing to observe, if you're willing to learn, I know a lot of great people that I think are willing to teach. I think we all want people to be better at what they do. I mean, I hope we all want people that are better at what they do. So the, so that dentistry comes across as a better, you know, like a, a good profession. Cause I think that, you know, we've yeah. been in the past soured a little bit by the public is like, Hey, they just make a lot of money and they're here to, you know, buy a nice car and, and, and go on these great trips. But we care about our patients and we want people to care about the patients like we do. So they treat people well. What is it like mentally being the son of a dentist? I mean, I enjoyed it. I mean, I got to see what dad was doing from an early age. So I actually wanted to go into dentistry. Like, honestly, like I, I would go in when my dad got emergencies. And this is the funny part. Like, you know, you get that call on a Saturday afternoon or a Sunday and your dad's just like, Ugh, we got to go in. We gotta, <laughs> like, you know, and, and again, we always want to help you. Right. But it's like, yeah. it's never exciting on a Friday night to go into the clinic. But when dad did, he's like, Hey, you want to come assist? He's like, I don't have anybody coming in with me. And I'm like, yeah, well, like, let's do this. And so to me, I was like excited when dad got an emergency because I got to go to the clinic, right? Also from grade one to four, our school was across the street from the dental clinic. Like we lived in Ranchlands, our clinic was in Ranchlands and our school was in Ranchlands and they were all a hundred meters from each other. Like it was a triangle between school work and our house. And so when we finished up school, me and my sister would just walk to the clinic and mom and dad had to work. Like it wasn't an option back then, right? Like, I mean, immigrant families, refugees coming to Canada. We got kicked. My parents got kicked out of Uganda with Idi Amin in, you know, 50 years ago, they came to Canada as refugees. Um, and so you had to work, you didn't have money coming into it. And because you had to work, you know, your kids had to figure out what that meant. And so I've spent a lot of, you know, hours on a couch in the staff room. We actually had a really nice couch in the staff room back then. And so me and my sister would hang out and, and play on the couch, right? I mean, mom and dad had to work. And then once they finished, we'd, we'd go home. I and mean, we had a nanny sometimes. We had help sometimes. But I, I remember days where we'd just be hanging out on the couch in the staff room. And the staff would all come back and hang out with us. And it was cool. I think that's that's awesome that you've been, you know, surrounded by dentistry your entire life. Um, how did you go from... Uh, you know, you graduated from University of Pacific. You're now a dentist. You're now working with in the family business. How did you decide to branch out of the the family business and grow it and grow from one clinic to two to four to eight? How tell us about that story? So again, you know, right place, right time. Sometimes, like we had a doctor friend of ours, a dad's friend that was opening a medical clinic, and he's like, "Hey, 
I want to put a dental clinic and an optometry clinic in the same like plaza. Like, well, we've, we've rented out 10,000 square feet. You take 25, we'll take 25. They take 25, you know, optometry takes a little bit less and we've got 10,000 square feet. Do you want to do it? And dad's like, nah, my dad had actually opened a second clinic by himself. And it was a disaster okay. because it's one person running two clinics. He had an associate, you know, they ran one clinic and all of a sudden you're just working twice as hard, making the same amount of money with two overheads. So he actually yeah. ended up giving the clinics to his associate pretty much. I mean, they paid, you know, right now you joke about it, but like a $250,000 for a fully functional, you know, dental clinic. But this is back in, oh, I mean, say like early nineties, right? Like it was a long time ago or late nineties maybe. Um, and so we had the opportunity to open a second clinic. And then we found a really great dentist to join our organization, Jody. So Jody's my first partner. And uh, we then moved her to the new clinic and she's like, well, can I be a partner? And we're like, yeah. And she went on mat leave. We had another dentist join us and they're like, this is fantastic. How do we become part of the organization? And we're like, well, you can't. Jody's the partner here. Dad and I and my cousin are the partner at the other place. There's just not. And then it's like, oh, well, the new lease came up somewhere. And they're like, well, how do you, do you want to be a partner at a new clinic? And they're like, sure. And then Jody went on another mat leave. We had another dentist join us and they're like, hey, how do I become a partner? And so we actually built clinics for dent for our associates because we didn't have room for them and they were amazing. They really were. They're like these great people that we wanted to keep. Um, and so our plan was never to grow. And our plan still isn't. Like, you know, if I talk to you guys and like, we're like, hey, let's do this a year again in a year and just, you know, update. If we have 18 clinics, we'll have been super successful. And we have 16 clinics, we'll also be super successful. Like if you talked to me last year, we had 20 clinics. Now we have 18. That's fantastic. Like it made sense to do what we did to clear up some space for me and for some space for people. And so, you know, we, we, we changed things a little bit and one of the dentists, you know, went out on their own and, and it worked perfectly. Right. And so to me, it's not a numbers game. I, I think a lot of people get caught up in that. And, I, and to me, it's a little sad almost. Cause like I talked to dentists and are like, all right, how'd you do this? How do I go from one to five clinics? And it's like, how are you running one? Like how successful and how happy are you? What are you doing in your first clinic? Why do you want to own five? It's like, well, you know, you can do better. And it's like, here's my, again, a pet peeve of mine. If you're running dentistry to make money and you're trying to grow just so you can make more, I have a problem. Like buy condos, buy real estate, right? Like that's what you'll do. If you're doing it because you treat patients really well, you have an amazing team, you have amazing dentists and you can do more, absolutely go nuts. But then make sure you turn around and give it back, right? Like, I mean, we met in Peru on a volunteer trip. Like, one of the yeah. one of the things for our clinics is how do we make sure we give back as much as we take? We live in Canada. We're like the luckiest people in this world. And I believe Calgary is like the best city in Canada. So I think I'm like the luckiest city in the luckiest country and luckiest place in the world, right? So like we're we're given so much. We we won the lottery by living in this country. Like, what are we doing to say thank you? And so it all kind of fit together. And I tell people, more clinics, more hands. Like we can help more people. And I believe we treat people really well. Like I believe we do really good quality dentistry and treat people really well. And it's not a numbers game. So to me, I think that's the difference is I will never tell you I want to have 25 clinics in the next five years. That doesn't make sense to me. I mean, if I have 25 clinics, sure, but not, but that's not the goal. The goal is not to have more and not to make more. It's to do better. And if that means that we grow, you know, you, you think about it this way. You take a plant, you water it, you treat it really well. What happens? It grows. 
right? Mm-hmm. Like naturally things grow. If you do things the right way, they'll naturally grow, right? I mean, what did your clinic start like, Nikki? And how has it grown over time? And you just built a, you know, a new place. It's like, you're doing the right things. It's grown, right? You're treating people well. I, I, I just joke around. I'm just having fun. And, yeah. and if, if, if you can continue to have fun at what you're doing and you're, you're not looking, uh, you know, I still look at the numbers. I, I can't say that I don't, but you got to have fun in what you're doing. And, and that's what I always see in you, Jan, you're always having fun and you're building your teams. And I get jealous of you, like, uh, looking at, at your like staff functions, you guys have Trek days, right? You guys yeah. call it Trek days. Yeah. Yeah. So three days. Yeah, And year. it's like these, we- these huge, like staff meetings and, and yeah. they, they just like, and there's education. It just looks fun, man. Yeah. It is. And that's the thing, right? If you're not having fun at work, like, what are you doing? Go find another job. Yeah. Right? I mean, realistically, go find another job because to do this 30 to 40 hours a week and just to be like, you know, poking your eyes out doing it, it's just not worth it. We close each office three days a week and we do these, you know, like Trek retreats. And so, you know, once a year, we close all the offices the same day and we get 200 people together. We have this like great continuing education, but we try not to talk about dentistry. We're not talking about dentistry. We're talking about team development. We're talking about nutrition. We're talking about health. We just finished our spring team development. We do one in the spring, one in the fall, and then one in January. So those are our three days. We just finished our our spring team development. I talked about positive assumption. So how you go into a situation with that mindset of things are going to be good. I'm going to meet you and this is going to be good. Like this is going to be a fun podcast. Like it's going to be good. This is why we're doing it. And we did that for an hour. And then we cooked meals for Made by Mamas, which is a charity that raises you know, funds for, for new moms. And so our staff, you know, were forced to listen to me for an hour. I mean, they just don't get that's the, They don't get that choice. <laughs> and then they got to like cook food for the next three hours. And that was our four hour kind of, you know, team build. And how much fun did they have making meals for people that needed it? And on average, we cooked four to 500 servings of food every time we took a group through. We just, we try to put two offices together because me doing that 18 times, it just takes a lot of time. But we did it 10 times and, and and I run every single one of them and I'm there with the teams because I love the people that we work with. Like, I, I mean, that's what makes a difference, right? You like the people you work with. It's funny because like I was talking to, again, one of my buddies and we go on a staff trip once a year or we try to, I mean, during COVID we couldn't, but we go to Mexico with our staff once a year. This year, we, we only had about 60 people go because again, people were like, eh, not quite sure, you know, going down to Mexico. And one of my buddies is like, why would you hang out with your staff outside of work? He's like, once I leave the door, he's like, I don't want to see them till eight o'clock in the morning. Right. And I'm like, dude, it's like my favorite trip of the year. Like I love going with some of our docs and some of our team members and we go get to sit on a beach and have a drink. Like we're no, there's no continuing education on this trip. Like we're just out there to yeah. relax and have fun. It's like, y- you got to love the people you work with. So like, I understand it's on a numbers game, but then what is it? Because everyone seems to want to consolidate and roll up practices. Yeah, I think it's a problem. I mean, personally, and it's like, again, the calling, you know, me calling the kettle black, like it's like, yeah, but I'm not consolidating. We build new clinics. Like we've bought two clinics. We don't really try to buy clinics. We try to build new clinics. Um, unfortunately, I think that, you know, people are looking at dentistry as a way to consolidate so that they can make more money. And, and, and again, I'm not opposed to it if we're doing it for the right reasons and helping people. I was on stage just two weeks ago in, uh, in Vegas at this conference and it was interesting. I was talking with a great guy. So me and him were co-lecturing, even though we didn't put the lecture necessarily together. 
it was showing how he'd grown his DSO in three years to 40 clinics and how we'd taken 20 years to grow to 18 clinics. And his thing was like, yeah, if we grow it fast enough, we can buy them at five or six times multiple and we can sell it at 10 times multiple and look at the like difference we can make. And I'm like, okay. So I said, I said, so I actually stopped him and I said, okay, so you told me your values at the beginning, you had, you know, patients and, and people and, you know, all of this stuff and a great guy. I mean, I'm not throwing him under the bus, like an awesome guy. And I was like, which of the values was like profit and roll up? And he's like, well, no, that's not one of our values. And I'm like, so then what, so then where does it fall? Because this is a problem that I have in dentistry. And this is the biggest problem that I have is that most dental clinics have targets and budgets. And I'm not saying that's a necessarily a problem. And then they pay bonuses based on targets and budgets. Okay. And then they say, well, we're values based. I'm like, well, which value is profit? Which value is production? Because you can't pay, because how you pay people talks about your values, right? Like, because if I pay you to produce more, then what am I looking for, for you to produce more? Well, yeah. that's what the ultimate goal is. And so we don't have budgets, we don't have targets, and we don't have bonuses. Nowhere. You talk to any of my office managers, and we don't call them, we call them team leads, we don't call them office managers. No targets, no budgets, no bonuses. So what is their goal? So, so what are they supposed to do when they show up to work? Treat patients well and treat the team well. And again, the one thing that we'll always say, because you know we have our values, like TREC, teamwork, respect, exceptional dentistry, continuous improvement. Teamwork is first. I think the team comes before the patient. And I'll argue that all day long. I have dentists that are like, no, you should put the patient first. I'm like, no, I'll put the team first because the team will take care of the patient. That is ultimately the goal. Richard Branson talks about this and he says, you know, put your put your team first, they'll take care of the clients. And we 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 believe that ultimately our our goal is to take care of our team and take care of the patients. And guess what? We do make great money. And I don't like I don't deny that we make great money. We really do. But it's not because we're asking people to do more. We're not asking people to produce more. We're not asking our hygienists to like, hey, add an extra half a unit every time you do a cleaning so we can get our hygiene numbers up. Like you hear this stuff and it's like, it's crazy sometimes, right? And so for us, it's like, it's so simple, but nobody listens to me. Like every DSO I talk to, I'm like, here, I'll tell you how to do it. Just treat patients well and put your team first. And they're like, no, I'll know, but but what about the targets? And I'm like, well, throw those out the window. And they're like, what about the bonuses? The patient, the staff won't work hard if there's not a bonus at the end of the month. I'm like, yeah, they actually will. They'll work harder when you actually take the numbers out. And it's like, how can we just get more patients and, and treat them really well? The funny thing is they'll actually work harder. Just pay them well. Like, I mean, we're not underpaying staff to, to have them produce, pay them well. That's a good point. And I think that's, you know, like you said, Richard Branson, fellow yeah. dyslexic, in fact, uh, says it all the time, uh, yeah. you know, put your, put your employees first, but in this environment where, you know, everyone's trying to consolidate what value adds can a corp or not a corp um because i don't even think it's fair to call your corp like a like someone who's who's collecting or starting clinics like what value add can you bring to like one the patient and two the people that work for you like the associates in well, I, in like this group model right so i mean i think the biggest thing and i hope that the biggest thing is that we take the stuff that's non-patient facing out of the clinic Right. Because right now, like your office manager is paying bills and maybe doing payroll. Like 
you know, or your wife is, or your husband is, or, you know, but realistically that stuff needs to come out of the office because the only thing the teams at the office should be working on is each other and the patient. And so our ultimate goal is like payroll done outside the office, bill pay done outside the office, managing the website done outside the office. Like, you know, things that don't, that aren't patient facing. So if you're not touching a patient or you're not touching the team, take it outside the office, see how you can figure out a way out. And to me, that's what, you know, these service organizations can bring is that they can take the stuff that the dentists don't like doing, right? Because who likes paying bills? Nobody. Who likes doing payroll? Nobody. Like, so if we can get that stuff out of the office, now our office manager has time to, to be a part of the office. And here's the thing, again, we call them team leads. All of our team leads sit at the front desk. We don't have a room in the back where we have an office manager. No, like if there's four receptionists and the team lead, they are at the front desk with the rest of the team. They don't go back there. There's no private office for an office manager to go sit in because what would they do in there? Pay bills, you know, run payroll. Like, you know, it, it doesn't happen. And so for us, we don't have that extra person in the office. We have, there are best trained receptionists really at the end of the day. And so, but you we're know, trying to help on the outside, take stuff off their plates. I I really, I like that model because you're, you're totally right. Like my office manager, she's in a back room. Everyone gives her all the shit that piles on her desk because it's payroll. It's it's all the, the business stuff that I wish she was in front of patients more than she's in the back room working on that stuff. So I like that. But I, I wanted to ask you, like, I really admire how you build your teams. What what do you look for in when you're hiring your team leads or when you're hiring the people that interact with your patients? Like, is there a system that you have to hire these people or, or how do you decide that? So, I mean, ultimately, no, we don't have, like, we don't do personality tests. We don't do like any of that stuff. Here's the thing. Go to find, go try to find a dental assistant right now. Like virtually impossible, right? Try to find hygienists. Actually, we haven't had a lot of trouble with, but, but it's hard. And so to me, it's like, here's the challenge is that we can't actually, like, we don't have 10 applicants and we can say, oh, like, let's get them down to one. We have two applicants and you kind of flip a coin and you hope you pick the best one. I mean, it, it's, it's the honest truth. So what we do is after we hire them, we set up these, you know, trek days. I spend four hours with every new hire. Now we try to do it in groups. So I don't do four hours with every single person we hire, but every quarter I do a new team orientation and we'll have five to eight people, let's say, because we're growing and some people are turning over and people move. And so there's always turnover, right? I mean, we try to keep our staff for as long as possible, but naturally there's turnover. And so I spend four hours with all of our new team uh, members to explain to them why, like, why do we do things the way that we do? Why do we treat people the way that we do? How do we run team? And these days, like it, it was funny because I was in when I was at this conference, somebody's like, How much does it cost you to close 18 offices for three days a week? And I'm like, Man, I haven't done that calculation because I think it'll scare me if I do. And they're like, Would you mind? And I'm like, Okay, well, let's just say like 10,000 in production per office per day and 18 times and then times three. And then you're paying staff members to be there. And we calculated it to cost us about 750K to close for three days for 18 offices. And somebody's like, that's insane. And I'm like, but we're doing better than you are not closing those three days. I'm like, when you take care of your team and that's it, when you put your team first, they work harder for you. 
Like it's just a natural piece. You take care of somebody, they're going to have your back. You're going to have their back. You know, Simon Sinek calls it that circle of safety. What our teams are looking for is to be safe, create a safe environment for them, put them first. And when we do that, they're there for us. And so we don't hire differently, but we treat them differently after they're hired. And I wouldn't say we treat them differently than everybody. I'm sure you treat like, but we, we put more time and effort into it. You know, again, four hours on my part, three days a week here that were closed. Um, and again, those days, we're not talking about dentistry. We're talking about things that can make their lives better at home with their families, with their kids, with their significant other, you know, setting goals in their personal lives. Cause we're not setting goals for the office. We don't have goals for the office. We need personal goals. And so it's, again, it's what you do once you hire them. It's not in our, in, in our, our piece, it's not, how, it's not how we hire them. It's what we do once we hire them. Nike's Nike's spoken to this HR piece so many times and Obviously, Nike is growing like 10 employees a month by the sounds of it. Like he's like every day, every week he checks in and he's just like, oh, I have like five more employees than I thought. <laughs> or, That's not a good or... thing. That means I'm not paying attention. <laughs> <laughs> but, 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 you know, he's hired a ton and obviously you have like 200 employees. And I've just learned from, you know, the select little bit of experience that I have that gut feel is the biggest load of crap I've ever heard because it's like, you look in retrospect, right? And you're like, oh man, I should have caught that when it goes poorly. But then when it goes well, you're like, oh man, imagine if I just thrown in the towel this person, you know, and like the first thing they screwed up on, right? Yeah. Like like some of our greatest hires have been people that have been the worst at the first day. And yeah. some of our worst have been the best we're, at the first day. We're quick to judge, right? We're quick to judge sometimes, right? And so we need to give people time and train them. So like, what's your, what's your hiring philosophy? Like what's your HR philosophy? Do you interview? Do you just spend time with people? What's, what's your um, go-to? I mean, here, again, the challenge is when you need an assistant, you needed them today, right? Like you don't need them six weeks from now. Like there's not, I mean, you know, somebody gives you notice, let's just say, or they say, Hey, I'm moving. Like, you know, we had a girl and she's like, yeah, we're moving to Red Deer. And like, when are you moving? She's like in June. And you're like, dude, it's like middle of May. Like, what do you, what do you, you know what I mean? Like, when did you decide that you're just going to get yeah. out and move? And now you're looking for somebody. It's like, yeah, it's a conversation, right? Like I'm not a big fan of working interviews. I don't mind working interviews. I'm not, I'm definitely not against them, but I think that, you know, if you meet the person, you can train skill, you can't train personality. And so I'll tell a lot of people, and, and here's the challenge that I have right now is that with the number of people we have, I don't get to interview everybody. I used to be able to interview everybody and I used to love it. Like I actually like doing the hiring, but I can't, I don't necessarily have the time. And some of our offices are just moving quick and they're like, Hey, we found somebody. But one of the things I would always tell people is like, look, you're a hygienist, you're an assistant, you're a dentist. My expectation is that you can do your job. Like, I, I hope you come with a skill set where if you're an assistant, you can make a temporary, you can put on a rubber dam and we can train some of that. But my expectation is you can do some of those things, but I can't train your personality. And so I need to be able to have the conversation with you. And so what I tell them is like, if we went out for dinner, me, you, a few friends, would we enjoy our time at dinner? Because I'm going to be working with you eight hours a day. And if I can't enjoy the interaction we have, if it's not fun, like Nikki said, then it just works. So it's like, we need, our personalities need to work together. And if they work together, I'll teach you everything you need to know. If you can't make a good temporary crown, guess what? We can train that. If you can't put a rubber dam on really fast, we can train that, but I can't train your personality. So, you know, would we enjoy dinner? And like, and that's the question, right? And it's like, would we enjoy dinner? Yeah. 
And, and that's what's going on in my, the back of my mind. I mean, I'm telling them that, but I'm, I'm, I'm looking at it and I'm like, Hey, I'm shooting. My, I, I can't, uh, after 10 minutes, I've run out of things to say to this person. That's a problem, right? Like when I met Necky, like, yeah, I mean, th- this is like, it's, it's fun. Like it's the first time we hung out, right? Like in Peru, like we all had a great time because everybody there is in the same mindset of helping others. So it's like, you're going to get along with the people on your trip. At least you hope so. They're here doing work and it's socially responsible work. So it's find the people yeah. that you get along with and then train them to their skill set. So that's what I'm looking for. I mean, again, I'm not doing all the interviews and some of my staff, you know, I'm not sure that that's exactly what they're looking for. But if I get a chance to interview somebody, I want to talk to them and I want the conversation not to be awkward for 15 to 20 minutes. And if I can get through that, we'd have dinner, right? If it's awkward from the beginning and it's like, oh, so I have to ask 16 million questions to get them to interact with me. That's a problem. Because the patients want, Hmm. I mean, what does a patient want when they're sitting in the chair waiting for the dentist, the assistant to have a conversation, right? I mean, they're Hmm. looking for, they're looking for human interaction. So we need people that are good at human interaction. You're, you're, you're totally right, man. Like I, I like to hang out with my assistants in, in like at at like the last half an hour of the day. Cause then you get to like talk to them and it's just, it's just, it's much more relaxed. I totally see what you're saying. And that's where I see the volunteer aspect. Like you kind of alluded to of your whole organization really come together is build that camaraderie. But how did you get into um, uh, going to Central America? Like, you know, I met you in Peru, but like, how did you get on that train of volunteering and, and uh, bringing your staff to, to come volunteer? Tell us about that. So the volunteering part, and if we take the Central America to start, the volunteering part started when we were young. I mean, just part of the communities that we're in, it was, it was interesting, but as we grew up, volunteering wasn't like something you thought you should do. It was part of what you did. Like, you know, I watched my dad volunteer as I grew up. Like we went to, you know, our background, um, Ismaili, like there was just always volunteering work done in the community. You always help people. So I always grew up volunteering, um, getting on, on overseas missions trips. I mean, I gotta, I gotta, you know, give credit to one of my partners, uh, Dr. Reddy, Mangela Reddy, who works, who's, you know, been a partner now for close to 15 years with us. Um, you know, she'd been going to Guatemala a couple of times and she's like, you got to come with me. And I'm like, I want to, I want to. And then all of a sudden it was like, all right, this year, like I'm single, like I don't have kids, like what's my excuse. Right. So we went down to Guatemala and it was like the best thing ever. Like you worked harder than you ever have and you didn't get paid and you didn't care. And you're like, I'll work. I'll see another patient. Like just put one more patient in the chair. Like there's a lineup outside, like let's help people. Right. Like it was amazing. And so then I started that year. I went on my first trip. And then the next year I went on one trip and something canceled on me. And they're like, Hey, we're going again. And I'm like, yeah, why don't I do two trips? And then Mebs is like, Hey, I go with kindness and action. Why don't you come on one of my trips? And I'm like, all right, well, I'll go to Guatemala in February. And then I think we're in March, I think is what our trip. I can't remember. It was March or May. Yeah. Um, he's like, well, come to Peru with me. And I'm like, all right, like I can handle two trips a year. And so I started doing two trips a year for four years. I was doing two trips and you know, how lucky was I? And, and, and I love telling the story. It's like when you give back without expecting anything, the world gives you some pretty cool stuff. And so going back to the initial start of this whole thing, I met Neki and I met my wife on the same trip. Like here I am going to Peru to do some volunteer work. This is my, I think my fourth trip overseas. And I'm like, just excited. I've never been to Peru before. We're going to hike Machu Picchu at the end of the trip. We're going to go work hard in the Amazon. And I met this amazing girl. Um, and, And funny story, to be completely honest, when she got there, 
her last name was Muhammad. And then there was this Omar Muhammad. And I'm like, oh, that must be husband and wife, right? Like I was like, that's just yeah. what I put together. And like Mebs, who's my partner, he's like, well, that's her brother. And I'm like, okay, can you introduce like, you know, like, well, let's let's yeah. let's, let's let's hang out, right? So so, but you know, we met on a volunteer trip. Like if I hadn't done an overseas mission trip to Peru, I may not have these two cute kids that I have at home, right? Like you don't know what the world's going to give you, but when you just give the world things and you try to do the right things, it's amazing what comes back. And that's what I love about it. Like you I, don't, you I just, just I love that mentality. And, and, but like, it's just bringing me right back there because the, once you go with another dentist down t- and do a mission trip in another part of the world, you're bonded. And like, I just ran into Omar. I haven't seen him in 10 years. I saw him at PDC and just comes up behind me. What's up, man. And you just, you're just right back there. You just give each other a big hug and, you, and you've been, you've, you've worked together and it's like, you've been in it together. And, and, uh, we came up with the slogan, like you put it on a t-shirt, no root right tip left behind. And he's like, Nikki, no root tip left behind. And I'm like, yeah, man. But like, dude, look at how that, like, I know you found your wife there. I guess I found my second love extractions down there, but that's where we learned to take out teeth. That's how we learned to be better dentists. That's how we learned to give back. And it becomes a part of our soul and, and what, what we want to give back to the world. And, and so I really recommend every dentist go on these trips. It's such a life changer. Just like you said, you fall right into it, but it's, it just becomes this passion within you that just lights this fire of why we are so passionate about dentistry. And you can't stop doing that's it. My, and I, and that's I, my, that's my soliloquy. <laughs> totally. And, and, you know, I've got one more crazy story. So like a couple of years after that, I took my wife to Guatemala. She'd never been on one of the Guatemala trips with dentistry for all. She'd always been on the kindness yeah. and action trips that you've been on. And lo and behold, we meet this pediatric dentist that's going to Tufts University. She's just finishing off her pediatrics. She's from Kuwait, Manar, this great girl. And, you know, we hang out for 10 days in Guatemala. We become great friends. Like, you know, every year I'm messaging her and I'm joking, like, happy birthday. When are you moving to Canada? And no joke, a year and a half ago, she's like, all right, I'm ready. And I'm like, huh? And she's like, I'm going to take my Canadian boards. You got a job? And I'm like, well, yeah, we have two pediatric clinics. Like, we need a pediatric dentist. She's like, I'm coming. And I'm like, have you ever been to Canada? She's like, never been to Canada. And I'm like, so you're going to move to Canada. And she's like, I'm going to take my boards. If you can get me like the visa, I'm coming. And you're like, I literally hung out with this person. Me and my wife hung out with Manar for 10 days in Guatemala. And we became best friends in 10 days. She moved in January. She showed up with six cats to Calgary and she's, and she now works with us and she's coming over for dinner um, you know, like tomorrow with her husband, like it's, it's, it's like unbelievable. Like, how can you, how can you get somebody to move from Kuwait to Canada after knowing for 10 days, go on a volunteer trip with your life will change. Oh, totally. And you, and you just said that, yeah. like, it's like those relationships you build in those two weeks, it is just unbelievable. So, I mean, totally. great stories, go on a trip. And and that's where I found Meb's and I met Mebs as a brand new grad, 2009 in Jalapa, Guatemala. Uh, my my buddy Carl Martin and I we meet Mebs in Jalapa, and Mebs Sayani in uh, in Calgary. He has this laugh that you will never be able to get out of your head. And if you can keep a straight face while this guy is laughing, you are soulless. 
Like this guy has the innate ability to make everyone around him just absolutely love him and just has this laughter that, that just makes, that just warms up your entire day. And that's where I found just these cool dentists, man. And and I still, I don't know when I saw Meb's last, but I'm like, man, you, you really changed my life because you're just that funny, cool dentist that everyone wants to be around. And he works his ass off on those mission trips, man. He does so much restorative and you'll see him there 7 PM with the headlight and he's just going nuts there. And I just love him, man, <laughs> but he's one of your partners. Yeah. He's one of my partners. Yeah. So I'm hanging out and having lunch with him tomorrow. Yeah. I mean, he's been with ranch lines for a little over 10 years now. And so it's just, again, you meet some amazing people. I mean, they can't be amazing they're, they're obviously amazing if they're doing this work, right? If you're, if you're given 10 days, two weeks of your life to go help other people, you gotta be amazing. And so, and it's fun. And like you said, you won't know what it feels like until you experience it. And then you you can't stop. How do you decide where to go and who to go with? Um, so for us, I mean, I'm, I don't know. I'm just ultimately bonded to dentistry for all. So I will go to Guatemala with dentistry for all every year. And if I have time, I'll put on a second trip. Do you guys go to Comitencio? Yeah, Comitencio, for dentistry for all? Every single year. Comitencio, yeah. yeah, yeah. Yeah, so, and yeah. again, my... What's that? Is that, is that? is that a city? Is that a town? Yeah. Okay. I, I wouldn't call it a city, a village of sorts, but it's a cool area in Guatemala. And, you know, again, now that I have two kids, you know, my wife, Aisha, she's like, I, you're allowed to go on one trip a year, but you can't go on two a year because it's like, it's starting to really eat into family time. But, you know, she knows I go on one trip a year and, and I love the guy that runs our trip. He's based out of Milwaukee, Shane Fisher, like just absolutely love the guy. Right. And so if he's putting on a trip, I told him you're putting on a trip. I will be there every single year you put on a trip. And then if I could do something else, I will. And I like going back to the same areas because we build relationships there. Like he actually lived in Comey for like three or four months. So like he just immersed himself in that place. It's like middle of nowhere, but, but, you know, I mean, so he knows the people, he knows the you know, the, the families out there, like it's, it's just funny. And so when you go back there year after year, I've been there I think seven or eight times, like you start to make friends. And again, you know, it's crazy. My Spanish still sucks. And I go to Guatemala every year. And I wish every year I come back, I'm like, I'm gonna get better at Spanish. And then I just go back and I just butcher it, you know, and try to get through a few things, but he's fluent, right? Like he's fluent in Spanish. He can talk to all the locals. And um, so, so that's how I do it. I mean, do I want to go with Mebs on another kindness and action trip? Absolutely but I won't give up my Comey trip. So it's like, I'll only go with Mebs if I can do a second trip. And, and right now that's not in the cards, but you know, eventually I'll, I'll, I'll make it back out with Mebs on a trip. I did four trips with Mebs because we did Peru, Ecuador, Tibet, and Morocco. And those were like Tibet, Morocco, like some crazy cool experiences. Yeah. That's the cool part about these trips. You go, you go on these adventures and you go to places you will never be able to get to on your own. Like, like you go to any city, like in Morocco, you're just going to capital city. Then you'll go to the desert and peace out. But like, when you go on these trips, you actually go to what real life Morocco is like. And I still remember in Comitencio, I've been to Comitencio, I think four or five times now with, uh, uh, change for children. And, yeah. um, and we, we never go at the same time. I, I know, uh, I know like we both go to Comitencio, but go to different places, but I still remember the first time I brought my assistant to Comitencio, it was like two in the morning. She's hearing some rustling 
And then she turns on the light and there's someone in her room, like a drunk dude climbed through the window and was like sleeping in this hotel, just like sneaking in just because there's a bed there and like is about to crawl in with my assistant and she's just screaming at the top of her lungs. And you just, you get these crazy adventures, man. And, and it's just so much fun. So I highly recommend all, all dentists. And it's funny because when you get two dentists that have been on volunteer trips, you can just sit down all night and you'll hear the, just the craziest things. eh? Yeah. Great stories. Right. I mean, exactly. And we've got yeah. so many of them, but, uh, but that's what makes these trips amazing, right? Like you just, you, you bond and you got these crazy stories and it like, it just brings you back together. Okay. So I'm going to yeah. Granada in, in, what is it? Two months, month and a half, like 20, 20 of my classmates. What is one thing I can do in order to be mindful and intentional when i'm there that's a good question so what are you going for i guess uh, like your, a dental service trip you're doing a dental service trip what's cool yeah uh you see yeah you see nice i mean i think you just 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 experience it right like just try to get into the local culture as much as possible you're going to help people you're doing a service trip right i mean that you're going out there to help people but i think like try to try to chat with the locals like try to like you know when you when you finish off your trip trying to you know, have a great time with the people you're with, like spend as much time as you can with them, but try to learn, like try to talk to people and see what their experiences are. Like the locals, like what are they going through? What are they experiencing? How can you help them? Because sometimes it's, you know, it's different things that people need, but it's just interesting hearing where they came from, what their families are going through. Like, you know, if you get a chance, you know, visit where they live. Like sometimes people let you, they'll let you kind of go to their houses. They'll let you come in and see where they live and, you know, where they eat and how they do things. And, and I think it's such an eye opener, I think for any of us. And I think, especially for a lot of people coming out of Canada that haven't traveled the world, like, you know, if you've been to India, you get to see some pretty crazy stuff like the slums and the rest that are out there. Like if you get to travel the world, it really opens your eyes into how lucky we are because, you know, and we, we joke about this a lot. We have a lot of first world problems right? Like we, we look at the gas price and we're like, oh man, it's a dollar 60 a liter. And it's like, I tell my staff this all the time. If you're complaining about, you know, putting gas into your car, be thankful that you have a car because 99% of the world doesn't have a car and you probably have two, right? Like, what are we complaining about? We're complaining that we can't, the gas is too expensive, but we get to drive to work. You know, the rest of these people are lucky to have shoes, walking, to work or walking to school. Like you look at these kids and I just think that we have to put things in perspective. And the only way you could do that is by travel. And so I just think like, you know, just immerse yourself in the area, like understand how these people live because it's hard, right? We come back to life and it, it only lasts so long. You remember these things, but then you get back into your like, you know, can I get a Starbucks? In which, you know, Necky is the, like the luckiest guy in the world. His patients just bring him Starbucks. Like he doesn't have to go buy his own Starbucks. He just has to show up and people just like bring it for him. Right. Like, and, but, but here's the thing, right. That's a, that's a first world problem that we have. Like, like that's fantastic, but you know, that's not the real world. Right. And I think that we just have to balance ourselves out and know how lucky we are to do the things that we do and be able to experience the things that we can and how we can also help others do that. Because I think we can do both. Right. I, I, we, we try to explain this because here's the biggest challenge that I'm trying to figure out right now is how do I instill the same values in my kids? Because we live in a beautiful house and we live in a beautiful area and we get to go to, you know, we were just in Dominican with the kids on a trip on an all inclusive. Like, you don't have to worry about food. You don't have to worry. Like everything's taken care of. And so how do you build that up? And, you know, it was interesting. One day, my older son, you know, probably about a year or two, year and a half ago, he's like, Dad, you always go to work. Like, what are you doing? And I'm like, well, 
we have to go to work, right? And he's like, well, why do you have to go to work? And I'm like, so we can live in this beautiful house and we can help other people. And I want to teach him both because I think both are important. We're allowed to live well working hard. Like, I don't think we should feel bad for what we do as long as we take the time to help others as well. And I think that's where, you, you know, you, you you need that balance in life. Hey, I can make really good money. I can go on some great trips, but I can go to Guatemala and live in a one-star resort with cold water and enjoy the experience because I'm helping others. And the one thing that I try to impart to a lot of people that are around us is like, look, not everybody gets to go to Guatemala on a volunteer trip, but what can you do locally in your own backyard? Because we can do a lot of stuff to help people because you either have time or money. And even though we take our staff, like our staff gets the choice. They get to go on a trip to Mexico, go on a trip to Guatemala or get an RRSP contribution. Those are their three choices. And, you know, last year we had nine of us go down to Guatemala and it was amazing, but I can't take everybody with me. And so what are the other 180 people in the organization going to be able to do to help others? We do that made by mama stuff, but that's part of our team development, right? So it's like, they are giving their time, but you know, it's kind of organized. How do you make it easy for them to help others? And so we try to every month or two um, create an event or, or some sort of system that they can help. And so the last one we did, and I always bring this one up because I think it's the easiest one to do is we always say, Hey, who wants to lose five or 10 pounds? And I'm like, who doesn't want to lose five or 10 pounds, right? Like, yeah, that's me. And we're like in your closet, go into your closet, take out five or 10 pounds of stuff that you're not using. And we just did this last month and we donated hundreds of pounds of stuff to the women's and needs shelter wins in Calgary. How hard was that? Not super simple, but it gets everybody in the organization doing something, helping people out. So it's training that whole piece so that, you know, yeah, if you can go to Guatemala, come with me, but if you can't go to Guatemala, do something locally, let's go to the food bank. And so we create events every couple of months in our offices so that people can do something little to feel a part of giving back. And I think that that's what I like to impart on people is that you don't have to do the Guatemala trip. If you can, we'd love to take you. But if you can't, just go down the street, do something locally, like help wherever you can, because there's tons of people that need help. So Jan, I, I you know, as we both get older, um, I think we start, we start to realize why we do things and and what's important to us and, and what, you know, we want, we want to embody and, and how we want to feel. And I started realizing that when I go on these trips, initially I thought, you know, it's my duty. It's my responsibility to give back. I was so lucky to be born in Canada and get educated. But then I started realizing, you know, am I doing it for the other people or am I doing it for me? And then I started to think, I'm like, you know what, at the end of the day, I think I'm doing it for me because I'm doing it because not, not out of guilt, but I'm doing it because it makes me feel good and giving back makes, makes us feel good. Do you think that there's anything wrong with that? Or do you no. find that that's conflicting in a certain way? Cause it is selfish. Giving is selfish. And once you understand that, I feel like you, you almost give more because it makes you feel so good. You know what I mean? So, so here's the thing. And I love that because it does, right? Like you go on these trips and man, you come back with your cup full. Like you are just like, yeah. that was, the most, I, I feel amazing coming back. And it's like, man, I help people and I feel amazing. Like, how could you not do that more? Because it's like, look how people win. So, so here's an interesting thing and something that we talked to our team about. And, and I remember again, I, I love Simon Sinek. So I just keep, you know, quoting him all the time, but he talked about like, if I see you like, 
if somebody helps somebody else, how many people are affected by that interaction? And you just talked about it. Like the person that you helped, like that, that kid or that mom or whoever you took the tooth out on, that helped them. And then that helped you because it did. I mean, you got, you, you got something out of it and they got something out of it. And then people will ask me, they're like, well, you post a lot about some of the social responsibility stuff you do. Like, why don't you just do it? And so what I tell people is like, when you see that post, how do you feel? And they're like, well, it makes me feel good. Like, it's cool that you're doing it. Like, I kind of think, how can I do it? And I'm like, exactly. So interestingly enough, what, what Simon Sinek says is three people are affected every time you do something. You're affected because you helped them. They're affected because they got the help. And the person that observed it is affected. But I actually mm. think that he hasn't quite figured it all out. Like, I think there's a fourth level to this that people don't realize. And it's the community that is then affected by that. That dad having that toothache that can't go to the farm to, to, to work because he's in pain, you've taken him out of pain so he can go help his family make money. When we go to Comintensio, when you go to put water systems in, you didn't affect one person. You affected hundreds. Like the entire community has been affected. You've been affected. People, individuals have been affected. And I get to watch you do it. And I'm like, that's Nikki. Like, I love that guy. Right? So it's like, it's four, there's four different effects that you have and you need to multiply that. So to me, when you do something to help somebody, shout it out because I'm going to be like, that's amazing. How can I do a little bit more? Because I saw you do it and I'm like, ah, you know what? This week, this month, like, I don't really do anything. Like I just went on a holiday. Like what can I, you know, and it makes you think every time you see somebody doing something that's, that's responsible, I think it makes you think. And so to me, I'm not posting about it. So you think that I'm better. I'm posting about it so that you will hopefully get your butt out and do something. Right. And so you're, to- I talk you're about totally this- right, but it's such a fine line. Cause it's, it's, it's almost like, I don't want to be braggy that, that like, Hey, I'm going to put my arm around this kid. And it's almost becomes like poverty porn. You know what right. I mean? Like yeah. it's, it's, I'm trying to build up my social value amongst these people that I don't care about on Instagram by putting yeah. my arm around this kid to, you know, to show how good of a guy I am, but you're right. It does have that unintended consequence of other people thinking, Hey, why don't I, what's wrong with like, how can I do that? You're totally, I've never thought of it that way, man. I've always right. been hesitant to post. You, you, and that's exactly it. At the beginning you are hesitant. And when I heard Simon talk about it, he's like, you need to, because it will motivate people. And here's the thing, even if it doesn't motivate them, it makes them feel better. And don't you want people to feel better around you? And it's like, people just see volunteer work and they feel better, even though they don't do anything. Like that's the crazy part. And it's like, we want to build up society. And, you know, again, I always go back to what's my why. So my why is motivating people to live well and give back. That's it. So I want you to be healthier and I want you to be more social responsible. And so when people are like, Hey, you want to come talk on something? I'm like, yeah, as long as I can talk a little bit about, you know, some level of wellness and some level of social responsibility, you don't have to pay me. Like I'll come talk anywhere because that will change people, right? Like I was talking about AI with a a doctor who's like doing genomic sequencing and the guy's like, but the reason I'm asking you to speak is because I saw you do this work overseas. Can you bring that in to our conversation? Otherwise we just get so far down the line of how do we like treat disease. And he's like, we don't even want to treat disease anymore. We want to build healthier people. And I'm like, I love that. So like, how do we do it? Right. And so it's finding those opportunities. I mean, I got an opportunity to speak on the stage with a couple hundred people because they saw me on LinkedIn doing volunteer work. 
They, I mean, what do I really know about AI? Like, I'm not, I'm a dentist. Like, I mean, yeah, we use AI a little bit, but like, that's not our background, but that's, you know, that's where it takes you and you get to just shout this out. And so I, I completely believe in it. Like we need to shout it out as much as we can and take people because how do people find out about kindness in action and dentistry for all and change for children? Like if you don't post about it, I don't yeah. know these things exist. Like, I don't even know that you're doing it. So post about it so that I can, you know, either donate a well or go with you on your next trip. And I'm going to post about it so that all of a sudden, you know, this dentist that I don't know is going to be like, Hey, how do I come? And it happens all the time. People reach out all the time and say, how do I come? And I'm like, yeah, here's the website. Here's this website. Sign up. I'm not running the trip. I'm just part of it. I help, but you got to talk to these guys. And it, it, you know, it's, it's kind of that, that slow wheel that if you just keep turning it, it just turns a little faster and a little faster and we can help more and more people. And so, yeah, I mean, I, I think you should shout it out. I've gotten okay with it. I used to worry about it. Now I don't care anymore, right? Like I just donated blood this week. I put that on Instagram. I'm like, more people know, need to donate blood. Like how simple is it to go for 30 minutes? It takes 10 minutes to take the blood out, but it's a 30 minute timeline to donate blood. How are more people not doing that? Why does Canadian Blood Services have an issue with the amount of blood? Like literally we all have it. You have two more glasses of water the next day, that blood is back. It's easy. Go out and do it. Interesting. Well, okay. I'm, I'm I'm mindful of of the fact that you know you have you kind of have this like dual life, right? Like you're 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 a philanthropist. I don't even know if philanthropist is the right word. I don't, I don't even know if I'm using that in the right context. But because I he think is of totally like Bill, man. he's good. It, but guilt. All I could think of is like Bill Gates, who just gives money, but you give time, you give your skills, and you give your experience. So I don't know if it's the same. Um, context but you also are a dentist and both require you to uh not only subscribe to an idea but but also kind of rally the troops right like you have a team of 200 people and you have to steer that ship um and and on the service front you also have to you know i'm sure you do a lot in terms of like like you're doing on this podcast right you're speaking to an audience you're getting people excited you're posting on instagram how do you sort of rally the troops to subscribe to your ideas I think people find you like, I think that people are naturally attracted to people that are like them or that they want to be like. And so to me, you know, ultimately if we do this right, we won't have challenges finding staff. Right. And again, I'm not doing it for that reason, but the right people will find me because I tell people when I hire them again, and I probably didn't talk about this in the interview process, but I'm like, if you're not willing to give at least one or two days of free work a year, you probably shouldn't join us. Right. And I'm like, if that's not part of your DNA, it's not, it doesn't make you a bad person. It just doesn't make you part of our organization. And I talk about that up front because I don't know that I'm going to need two days a year, year, but if I ask you to come help out and we need to go down, cause we used to run the cups dental clinic every Thursday. And so we'd take a team down every Thursday. Unfortunately, the dental clinic hasn't opened up past COVID. It drives me bananas that we can't do more free work in Calgary because it's hard inside your clinic. I mean, we do do free work inside our clinic. Everybody does. But it was nice to have it set up by an outside organization. We'd come in, they'd have a list of patients, and we'd just get to work. Kind of like Guatemala. We didn't. We would still take our, 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 our admin down because sometimes there's some coverage through some social service plan. But other times if there wasn't, we would just do the work. Uh, but I want people like that. And I think that they come and find you. I just think that's it. Like, I mean, again, you know, I look at it and this is why I like what you guys are both posting and this podcast that you're doing. But again, you know, I have this affinity for Necky. I've known him for so long. I follow him. Like, look at the stuff that you're posting. People are going to find you because of what you put out there. And you can't, you can only fake it for so long. That's the other thing, right? Like a lot that's of people can be like, oh, hey, we're team first. And I'm like, 
okay, what did you do for your team this month or this year? And they're like, oh, we paid them and we took them on a staff Christmas party. And I'm like, dude, that's just like, that, that. that's basic. That's not, you didn't put your team first. You paid for a Christmas party. Like who doesn't pay for a Christmas party, right? Like, and, and again, it was funny. I was, you know, chatting with this guy in Vegas and he's like, oh, we did a team development day too, just like you. He's like, but we did it on a Saturday and we invited people to come. And he's like, we got 60% of our people to come out. And I'm like, but th- that, that was on their own time. And he's like, yeah. He's like, and look, I was like, that's not it. It's on your time. You got to do stuff for them on your time. I mean, asking them to come to a party on a weekend, that that's not, that. What, I mean, come on. Like, I mean, that, that does nothing. He's like, oh, we paid for a hotel for them and they stayed the night. And I'm like, sorry, man. Like, he's like, and we got a good speaker in and, and they learned something. And I'm like, so here's the interesting thing. 60% of people came, 40 didn't. The people that probably needed to hear that speaker on motivation or whatever it was, they're the ones at home, right? <laughs> right? Cause the ones that showed up are already motivated, right? The ones that didn't show up are the ones that need the motivation. So you got to close down your clinics and do this. And he's like, Oh, I don't, I don't know that like the board and the, my other partners and like the DSO will agree to do something like that. I'm like, exactly. And that's the problem in the world that we live in with consolidation is it is about numbers. It's about multiples. It's about EBITDA. It's about, you know, how we can turn this over to make it bigger. And, and, and they missed the point. I, I, that's, I, I truly believe they missed the point because we do really well not doing those things and we have fun doing it and we don't have to have those conversations and then we can help, help more people. So it's like, it's just, it's, it's a lot simpler than, than people want to make it out to being. And I think if you uncomplicate life, like treat people well, treat your team well and help others, like you'll live a really good life. I mean, you have to work hard. I mean, again, we got to go back to that whole, like, you have to have the work ethic too, because that's going to, that's going to get you, but you hope that you start there. Yeah. And I, I, I always, I knew about you, man. Like, you know, we've been on a trip together. You've grown so much since I've seen you and you really embody a leader. Like I, I really, I value this conversation, man. Like I felt like. I should be changing some things about how I lead my own team in my office. And I have a ton of respect for you, Jen. Thank you so much for, for sharing your philosophy with us and, and for sharing your story and how you grew. And, and if people want to reach out to you, how can they reach, how can they reach you? You know, I mean, honestly, the best way is LinkedIn or Instagram. So LinkedIn, Jan Jaffer, Instagram, Dr. Trek. I mean, that's, that's the easiest way that we can start a conversation. And then again, you know, always willing to help. Like if people need things, you know, I love when I'm reaching out. I mean, I'm not, I, I don't like all the people that reach out on LinkedIn about, Hey, how can I be your investment advisor? And I'm like, literally every day, somebody is like, Hey, give me 15 minutes of your time. No, but like, if we're willing to help others, like, let's do it together. Right. Like, that's where I like the collaboration. Like this guy that reached out and he's like, Hey, he's like, let's make this about AI and social responsibility. It's like, I'm there. Right. So like, let's figure out how to do things better because we can. And there's a lot of great people out there wanting to do the right things and taking care of people. So yeah, reach out, find me. I'd love to love to have conversations about this because this is what this is what gets me excited. Like right now, like I'm excited. You know, I'm like talking to Neki. I haven't seen you for a bit, but it's like, this is exciting. This, I, I love this. For sure, man. Uh, I hope to see you soon. Thank you so much for coming on the pod. And yeah. uh, to all our listeners, I hope you enjoyed it. Have yourselves a great day. Welcome to the Hi, I'm D- Neki. Is that a sweater?
Yeah, dude. Dude, it's the Hi, I'm Doctor sweater. Oh, dude, I see you got yours on too. Looking sharp, bro. Dude, where'd you get yours from? Uh, it, it was super easy, man. I just went on to our website, www.hiimdoctor.com. That's H-I-I-M-D-R.com. We have a website. We must be raking in cash from swelling, selling these sweaters. Dude, we are killing it. I mean, if, if that includes losing money on every single sweater that we make, I, I think we're doing really well. Yeah, Neki and I are donating all proceeds, which is zero, to charity because we are losing money. <laughs> so I, I wonder if the charity will pay us. I think I think we got something here, man. Let's, let's keep on <laughs> let's keep on losing money on every sweater. Alrighty, guys, go check us out. Hi, I'm Doctor.com. Let's see ya.